I'm hands-free this morning. Hopefully I don't mess this up. All right. Or sneeze or something. So I'm going to apologize in advance. 2 Kings 4. And uh, you're ahead of me. There you go. Um, but I just want to talk recent messages that have been spoken lately and what God's been speaking to us as a church is about repentance. And I, I thought, man, every week it's like it keeps coming back to repentance. And I'm like, wait, I guess that's okay. Jesus preached that for three years and John the Baptist preached it for a while. It seemed to be the center of his message, right? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But it's so that we can receive what God wants to do. Amen. And Pastor John preached so awesome last week on preparing the way of the Lord, making your hearts ready for God to move because God is moving. And I, uh, I don't want to miss out. I said, I don't want to miss out. Anyone here? I don't want to miss out what he's doing in this hour because I believe it's special and I believe it's bigger than we can even imagine, think or imagine what the Holy Spirit's doing. And we have this term called FOMO fear of missing out. Anyone ever feel that? Come on, you're scrolling through your social media and somebody's out on the beach in Hawaii and you're like, oh, stir something in you. I'm missing out on something, right? They're, your friends are out doing something. My wife has this FOMO thing. We've, it's, a, it's, it's real. Uh, if the, me and the kids go do something and she's not a part, she's like, I'm feeling FOMO, you know. But I don't want to miss out on what Jesus is doing in this time. And the other thing is, I don't want it to stop. I don't want it to cease, right? And I believe a key to that is receiving. And, and, and we have to, in order to receive, we've got to increase our capacity to receive. You guys are quiet this morning. It's okay. I might have to walk up to you. I'm hands-free now. All right. But we have to increase our capacity to receive what he wants to do. And that's, and that's what I really want to speak to. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to focus in on this morning. And one of the things that's amazing to me is that I, we can see God moving in a particular service or environment. And there'll be people there who are being radically touched by the power of God, by the Holy Spirit. Their lives are being changed. They're being transformed. They're being set free. Come on, they're being delivered. They're being saved. They're being healed. Whatever it may be, God does it all. In that same environment, there's people who walk out the same. There's people who can be in the same environment and not receive. And quite often, it's a, it's a resistance or it's just a lack of capacity to receive. And let me just tell you, if you're praying for revival, if you're praying for God to move, how many know that is going to stretch your capacity? If you've said, God, I've given you two hours on a Sunday, guess what? You might change that. I, I remember we went, went, went and visited a friend of ours in Florida during the Pensacola revival. And she had been there from the beginning. And she was an intercessor in the prayer movement there in Florida, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. And she said that when the revival came, I mean, they were having people standing in lines beginning at 10 a.m. in the morning to get to a service at 7 p.m. Come on. In Florida, heat and humidity. You better want it. And they would stand in that expectations rising, right? And then the service would go till 12, 1 in the morning. 
And people are going out under the power of God and these ushers had to figure out how to, they had to go home at some point, so they got wheelbarrows to carry people out. Right? How many know if, you were in, if, you're, if you're only set to a one-hour service, God's going to, I mean, that challenges that a little bit. And so they, they, they had to adjust everything. And she said, we would sleep four hours a night, and it felt like we got 10 because the Holy Spirit was moving. But if, if you're asking God to move, be prepared for your schedule to be adjusted. Be prepared for your priorities to be adjusted. Be prepared to make room for what he wants to do. So all of that, I believe we have some things to learn from this story in 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha and the widow and the oil and the miracle. So let's, let's pray. Can we, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that what you're doing this morning, Lord, you're healing, you're touching lives, Lord, your presence is here, Lord. We open our hearts to receive. We open our hearts, come on church, we open our hearts to receive your word, Lord, speak to us afresh, Holy Spirit. Now, let not one of us leave this place the same. But I thank you, Lord, that even as, as, as your word is going forth, Lord, that you're gonna be speaking uniquely and, and in a special way to each person. You know how to do this, Lord, and we just trust it to you. Thank you, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Everybody said. All right, so we read in 2 Kings 4, and it reads, Now a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor has come to take my children to be his slaves. And so here, here we have Elisha, the prophet, he's being called to this widow's home. And how many know God cares about the widow's? James says pure religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. This is pure undefiled religion before God and to keep yourself unstained from the world. That's what James says about it. But he cares about the widow. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a, he, he cares about the widows. And so this widow cried out and she cries out to Elisha the prophet and Elisha is just getting established in his ministry and beginning to do miracles. He was the pupil of Elijah and Elijah had performed all these miracles. And prior to Elijah's death, Elisha said, I want a double portion. <laughs> and so he ends up getting the double portion. And he ends up performing, if you counted the miracles, twice as many miracles as Elijah in his lifetime. And Elisha is just beginning and getting established. But he is the man of God for that hour. And God is using him to be a voice to that nation. And so she cries out to him, and she brings to his attention her situation. How many have been in a situation before? This situation was serious. She was in debt. She had lost her husband, who was a son of the prophet. Some of the commentators believe that he may have been Obadiah, which is spoken of in 1 Kings 18 as the, uh, the keeper of Ahab's household. I don't know. That was Josephus, the historian. Some, his, uh, some Jewish tradition says that. But he was a man who feared God. That's what we know for sure. He was a man who feared God. He was a son of the prophets. And so she laid claim. She said, my, man, my, my husband was righteous. He was of the prophetic movements. And so I, I'm going to call upon the prophet because I'm in a desperate situation. Anyone been in a desperate situation before? And so here she is. She's just dealing with the grief of the loss of her husband. She's in great debt. Great debt. She has two sons, 
And that debt has gone to the point she has no means to pay it. And by Mosaic law, she was to give her sons to pay it. And desperate situation. So, you know, by Mosaic law, they were, they were allowed, the debtor and his children, and here in, case the, in, here, in this case, the debtor was dead, but the children could be taken as bond servants by a creditor and their debt canceled by their labor. And they would have to be in that servitude until the year of Jubilee. So she's about to lose her son. She's already dealing with the grief of the loss of her husband, and now she has, she has the potential of losing her sons if this situation isn't dealt with. But she's also destitute. She's without. Her house is empty. She's got nothing. And so her situation was desperate, and she had a tremendous sense of need. There's four things I want to call out this morning about this story that I believe will help us understand how do we increase our capacity to receive what God wants to give. And the first is this, a sense of need. How many know you can be in a situation and kind of be in a denial? Been there, you've been in denial. It's not a river in Egypt. <laughs> Denial's a real place where we just, we don't, we don't pay attention to it. We try to suppress the situation. But really, we, we can look at her natural situation. But I want you to see this morning the spiritual equivalent. The spiritual equivalent of how we can, we can be spiritually in a place of being destitute. And, and yet try to placate ourselves, try to fill our lives with other things. Come on. And we don't sense the need. But one thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is moving is he begins to awaken in the hearts of people that need for him. That need for him begins to grow. Like I have been going along on autopilot too long. I've been trying to live on my own and my own power, self-sufficiency too long. And all of a sudden this need grows. I need, to, I need the Holy Spirit to be working in my life. You think about the prodigal son when he was away and he was in the pig, pig sty and he's eating with the pigs and he realized, realized, I need to go back to the father's house. He, this awareness came into his heart, right? I had that awareness in my life. I came to that place of a sense of need, but I had to go a long ways, 21 years old, to ruin my life before I got there. I'm telling you this morning, you don't need to ruin your life before you get that sense of need for him. Come on. Some people listen, I, I hear these testimonies of people who just went off the rails and backslid and went all the, did all this crazy stuff and then they got saved and I don't have a testimony like that. You know what the better testimony is that you stayed the course with him for the whole path, come on. Because I missed out on a whole period of life to have impact in my generation. So, I got off, got off course, but we'll get back. But we don't need to live, you know, we can be spiritually like the frog in the boiling pot, right? You're in the pot and you think things are okay and it's slowly getting hotter and you're dying, but you don't know it. Anyone been there? You're dying and you've, you've been getting along in life, but your spiritual condition is dying. There's a sense of need. She had this sense of need, but she didn't just have this sense of need for herself. Get this church. She had it. For her sons. She had it for her sons. I love this. I wonder what would happen if we as the church began to feel the sense of need that this generation has. Did you, do you feel this? Do we recognize their plight? 
Do we recognize what they're dealing with? Do we recognize their battle? Do we recognize the enemy's tactics to destroy them? We recently got, I hope you got to see the Jesus Revolution movie. If you didn't, you, you better get the video. Oh my. Oh my. I thought it was so cool. This movie's got a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's amazing. That's impact. Now, Grant, you know, that, that is incredible. And I walked out going, my kids were like, that might be one of my favorite movies ever. We were all in tears. Bring Kleenex if you go to see that movie. The story of the Jesus Revolution, the, the movement that took place in the late 60s and early 70s was incredible. And one of the moments that really struck me in that movie is that uh, Lonnie Frisbee, right? You have the story of Pastor Chuck Smith, and he's down in Southern California. And he's leading a very conservative church, and his young daughter is trying to get him to open his heart to the, heart to the hippies. And, 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 and he says to her, well, if God brings me a hippie, I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> well, God brings him Lonnie Frisbee, and Lonnie Frisbee shows up, and he's sitting at his table, and he begins to share the plight of his generation. And he says this, my people are looking for all the right things in all the wrong places. Can we not say that about this generation too? Right, they're suffering with a lack of identity or truth. They don't know truth, it's all relative truth. They just get told that you can just be whatever you feel like. There's no absolute truth, there's no absolute, their identity's under attack by the enemy to try to, to, try to get them to be confused about their gender, whatever it may be. Our present generation is seeking similar things. They want truth, they want the way, they want life. And they've just looked in all the wrong places. I wonder what would happen if we got the sense of need for their plight. Not just our sense of need, but for the sons. Can we be like Jesus and be moved with compassion? See, in Matthew chapter 9, it describes as he looked upon the crowds. It says he was moved with compassion because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were distressed and they were dispirited. And that describes this generation as well, distressed and dispirited. And this word distressed is really interesting because it means to be vexed, it means to be troubled, it means to be annoyed to the point of fainting. Does not the devil do that to people? And the dispirited means to literally be cast down. And you can see it in their countenance. And I wonder what happens if we look upon this generation and instead of pointing a finger saying this, this, and this, we got the heart of God and the compassion of God and saw what he sees. Their condition in their battle, like she did. Her sons were at risk. Now, her debt may have been for a good reason, right? For example, Obadiah took care of the prophets. He fed them. He, he took care of them when they were under persecution under Je uh, Ahab and Jezebel. And he hid them in the caves and gave them bread and water. So maybe that debt was a good reason. But whatever the case, they were in debt. Now we could be in debt for bad reasons. Come on. <laughs> we can be in debt. We got a debt we couldn't pay. Come on. But Jesus paid it. We have a debt we couldn't pay, but Jesus paid it on the cross. He paid it. You, there's no hope except for in him. But she was destitute, she had a sense of need, she had it for not only herself, but her generation. And I think we need to get a sense of need for the church to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. Yeah. 
The question is, will we get so desperate that we'll cry out? You see, there's a cry of desperation, number two. It says, she cried out to Elisha the prophet. You know, there's power in a desperate cry. Come on. 911 distress call. When you realize the situation is so dire, you're saying, God, I need your man on the scene. Come on. That was the cry of the world, and Jesus came. He said he left his throne. He emptied himself. He became a servant to come down into our world. That he gave himself. But there's a cry of desperation, and so God dispatches Elisha to the scene, and I want you to see what happens when righteous people cry out. Come on. Psalm 34, 17 says, The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of some of their troubles. All of their troubles. But you've got to cry out. One of the things I forgot here was we're invited in Hebrews 4, 16 to come boldly before the throne of grace in the time of need. But you've got to know it's the time of need. Do you get that? What time is it? It's the time of need. That I need mercy and grace. And you know what I've discovered is the longer I walk with Jesus, the more my need increases. I become more and more needy. Come on, we're afraid to be needy. We're afraid to be needy. You've been taught to be self-sufficient your whole life and just figure it out and tough it out. Come on. Come on, guys. You don't want to be vulnerable. But vulnerable people, needy people, get what they need from God. Like the woman with the issue of blood who had been at the end of her rope, right? 12 years of suffering. The doctors had done all they could, and she had no more answers. And she heard that Jesus was coming and decided to press through the crowd and get to him and touch him. Come on. That's a needy person who got what she needs. So if you're needy, cry out to him. And there's a desperate cry that God hears, and it says in Psalm 107.6, it speaks of the plight of the children of Israel and how they kept getting in trouble. And when they would get in trouble, they cried out to the Lord in their distress, in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Psalm 145.18-19, the Lord is near to all who, what? Call upon him. Whew, come on, that's good news. To all who call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. But you've got to throw off your pride, admit your need, and cry out. Cry out. I hope this morning by the Holy Spirit we get that sense of need. We can't just keep going the way we've been going. God wants to increase our capacity I remember, I don't know what town it was, but my dad tells this story. Let me just say this. Sometimes it takes us getting to really desperate, natural circumstances before we cry out to the Lord, right? And he tells this story of going into a town. It was, he went to the gas station. It was a small town, and there was a picture on the wall of a group of men, a large group of men, like 200 men, eight, eight, 800 men. And uh, so he asked the clerk, what, what, what was that? And he said, it was not a big town. He says, that was the men's Bible study during the Great Depression. 
Do we have to get to that state to wake up? If you truly feel the sense of need for ourselves, for our generation, for the church, then we need to boldly cry out to God in desperation. There is no answer for this generation other than the outpouring of his spirit. There's no other answer. No amount of counseling, no political changes. None of that's going to do it. Yes, I thank God for the ministry of counseling these things, but we need deliverance. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to see breakthrough in this generation. And you know, she says in verse 2, she said, Elisha said to her, what, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Somebody say a jar of oil. <laughs> you can do a lot with a jar of oil. <laughs> but he was a man of God who feared him. But when she cried out, she was crying to Elisha. Elisha's man, name means God is salvation. God is salvation. Elisha's role as the prophet was to point to him. She's like, what do, you, he, what do you think I can do? I got nothing. I don't have the supply. I don't have what you need to get out of debt. What do you have? Hmm. There's a question. What do you have? You know, it's like Peter and John when they were going up to the temple to pray in Acts chapter 3. And there's the man who's been lame for birth. And he's seeking alms. And he looks at them. And, and, Peter, and I think it's Peter says, look at us. Silver and gold we don't have. But what I have, I give to you. The man of God had something. Come on. You need to know you have something for this generation. God's put a deposit in you. God's put his spirit in you. God has a gift that works through you. You have something for this generation. There's something in your house, but you got to take your natural. See, he, he works with what we have, and he multiplies it. Get hold of this this morning, church. You're waiting for God to give you something. He's given you something, but you take what he's given you, and you get, use it for him, and it gets multiplied for his glory. Some of you are like, I don't have anything in the house. Yes, you do. If you got the Holy Spirit, you got something in the house. There's something in the house. This is his house. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Come on. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It's his. But it's a working faith. We see in this woman, number three, a working faith. A sense of need, a cry of desperation, a working faith. You know, faith doesn't work until we work our faith. Get hold of this. In every miracle, God requires our participation. That's why I just gave, I gave the exhortation on the man at the pool of Bethesda. He'd been sitting there for 38 years. And he said, do you want to be well? You've got to work with me here. Do you want a miracle? Work with me, right? I've got something for you, but work with me. And faith without works is dead. But here's what, here's what happens. God will have you do the difficult so that he can do the impossible. God will have you do the difficult so that he can do the impossible. Like, I'm not sure about that. So he's, 
He's asking, but she is taking his word. She's receiving the word of the prophet. Some of you will get that later. All right. What's in your house? She said, I've got nothing in here but a jar of oil. The original language implies that it may have been a, it was olive oil. Some commentators say it was the oil that was used after they bathed. Whatever the case, anointing oil. In the Old Testament, the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 61 says he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. Come on, that's good. The oil of joy for mourning. Praise God. And so the Lord will always start with what we have. He asked Moses, what's in your hand, Moses? Come on, he had his staff. Come on. He said, now throw that to the ground. Became a serpent. Supernatural working with what was natural that was in his hand. God used it. Come on. What resources do you have that God can use supernaturally for his glory? The boy with... They're there with 5,000 to feed Jesus and the disciples. And they're like, what are we going to do? Where are we going to get enough food for this crowd? Well, I I know this boy over here has five barley loaves and two fish. Can you work with that, Jesus? Right? He took it and he multiplied it. I'm telling you, I'm trying to come against that thing. And he says, I got nothing to offer. I got nothing to work with. You do have something to work with. The Holy Spirit's giving you gifts. He's giving you himself Same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. It's alive in you, and it will quicken your mortal body. Come on, you have what it takes to be what he needs you to be in this hour. You have it. For faith to work, we must start recognizing what we have. Even Abraham challenged with the word from God that he receive a son, and he's 75 years old. Come on. Says he did not, he, he looked at his natural body. He knew his natural body was limited and beyond its time. Come on, clock had ticked and gone. But he says he looked at, he didn't deny that situation, but he didn't waver in unbelief. He held on to the promise that God could take that natural thing and produce something supernatural in spite of its limitations because he's not limited. So let's read on, verses uh, three through five, and it says, then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels, do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons, and you pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. The kids got some chores. Come on, parents. They need to be part of the process. There's something in that. There's something in that when your, parent, your kids are part of the process of a miracle. You know, for our faith to work, we've got to be obedient to the word. Notice, she didn't question the prophet. Go get empty jars from my neighbors? That's awkward. Why do I need empty jars? What am I going to do with this? Just go do it. It seems... Inorthodox, or it seems weird, right? Sometimes what God asks you to do goes against, many times, most of the time, it goes against your natural understanding. Because he just, he knows better, doesn't he? 
And, he, and so she didn't question the how or she didn't question the why. She received the word of the prophet. How many times, I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Christians who get a word from God that's confirmed and then they question and they don't act on it and they miss the blessing. They miss the purpose of God in that. When God's given you a word, I tell you there needs to be a confirmation. There needs to be a confirmation in your own heart. But when that's happened, you need to obey it. You need to act on it. Don't wait. Don't miss the opportunity. There's a time of opportunity for miracles to happen sometimes. God's got an expiration date on this. Do it. Listen. Obey. I know you guys still love me. All right. And we have to be doers of the word. James 1.25, I preached on this last fall, but, but one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Not becoming a forgetful hearer. How many sermons do you guys remember? I'm asking, you don't have to raise your hand. Um, <laughs> Because we, we can become forgetful hearers, right? I've, I've heard hundreds of sermons, and I remember a handful. But I've taken lots of notes, right? But there, she says, it's, the word says, the man will be blessed in what he does if he is an effectual doer. An effectual doer. I don't want to go listen to a word and not have an action There's an action. God calls us to action. She couldn't just sit in her house and say, God, I'm here waiting for the miracle. No, you have to go out and do something. There's an action associated with your faith. Faith without action works is dead. And it's in response. The faith showing itself is the work. But it's a, a working faith has to be worked Here's another thing. She, I love that God involved her sons in this miracle. Get hold of this. What happens, parents, when your kids see you faithfully serving God, going through hard times and still trusting in the Lord and seeing God answer and miracles in your lives, and they see the testimony of faith? That's fantastic. That ge each generation needs to see that. That's what we pass on, the testimony of faith, the miracles that God's done in our lives. Man, we were just sitting at the lunch table with Pastor John Sika the other day. And this, this man just begins to share stories and we didn't want to leave the table. The testimonies of miracles through that man's life are just endless. And they're amazing. Or I listen to Mike Sia share things that he saw in the mission field. I mean, I just love what God does. I love hearing it. But how, many, how much more do I want to be a part of it? Yes. To experience it. My prayer is this generation gets to be part of the miracle God wants to do in this hour. They were there as she began to go behind those closed doors and pour. And it kept coming, and it kept coming, and it kept coming. They went and got those vessels to fill. And it kept coming, and it kept coming. And I noticed this. For working faith, there's got to be a secret place. There's got to be a secret place. He said... Go in and shut the door behind you. Just like Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your inner room. 
Close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is in secret will reward you openly. Openly. See, I want to see my kids be part of my prayers and then them see the answers take place. We're praying for miracles and praying together and then seeing the answers. Yes, God did that. You can't deny it. You experienced it. I remember going to Romania as a 15-year-old kid, getting to participate with my dad, reluctantly, mind you, because of where I was in life. But there was no denying when you see firsthand God taking people out of wheelchairs, thousands of people getting saved, a nation getting turned upside down by the power of God, him the, being swept by the wind of the Spirit and bringing many into the kingdom in, in just days. Can I just say this? When, when God starts to move and pour out His Spirit, things that took years begin to happen in moments. Begin to happen in moments. Notice if you were to produce oil and put the seed in the ground and wait for the tree and the fruit to come forth. It would be years before you could get some oil. Come on. But it happened supernaturally and it flowed. Oh, it's amazing. Things we've been struggling with for years and in a moment of revival, God suddenly he does it. Doesn't mean there's a process, there's not a process, there is, but the power of God has to come suddenly for us to be transformed. What will save this generation from being taken by the creditor? First hand experience. First hand experience. I feel like the theme for Easter this year is come and see. Come and see. Don't just hear, but come and see what God's doing. Paul said, I don't want your trust to be in, the, in man, but into, in the power of God. And he, he established that by demonstration of the spirit and of power. We can't accept less, church. We can't accept church as usual for this generation. It won't serve what's needed. Notice what has to happen in that Jesus Revolution movie. Man, the elders were complaining that the hippies were barefooted. <laughs> They're going to ruin our carpet. I hope you ruin this carpet with tears and with your dirty feet. I don't care. Come ruin this carpet. So you know what Pastor Chuck did? He sat, he sat at the door of that church and washed their feet. Now the carpet's okay and so are they. But churches that rejected them missed the move of God. God's doing something in this generation, and we need to be open and be ready and let God expand our capacity so that we can receive whoever he brings into these doors. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Whoo! Almost done. When the vessels were full, verse 6, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. And the oil stopped. Fourth thing, an empty vessel is what he needs. 
He needs a sense of need. We need a desperate cry. We need a working faith, but he needs us to be an empty vessel. What is God saying to us this morning? He's saying, if we're going to receive the outpouring of his spirit in this hour, we're going to need to increase our capacity to receive it. For the widow, that meant to go get more jars. Somebody say more jars, more vessels. The oil only stopped when they ran out of the empty vessels. The limit was not God. It was the capacity to receive. God's supply is much greater than our capacity. The flesh is the limiting factor on revival. So that's why you've got to crucify this flesh. You've got to deny its power every day. The one thing that will stop the outpouring of the Spirit is the lack of empty vessels. I want to quote Pastor Duncan Campbell, who was used by God in the Outer Hebrides, revival the islands off the coast of Scotland in late 1940s and 1950s. He's a tremendous man of God. And he says this, The measure of the intensity of our desires will determine the measure of our capacity. The measure of the intensity of our desires. you got to want it. You gotta want it. Got quiet in here, church. <laughs> Paul prayer, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 for us. It's the will of God. He's praying the will of God. And he prays that you would be filled with the fullness. With the fullness. Not half. Some of us in this gas price crisis, right? You get to quarter tank and you say, How long can I go on quarter tank? I'm going to have to refill at five bucks a gallon, right? But you can't live that way spiritually. You need to be filled. It's God's will for you to be filled with the fullness of God, the fullness, the overflow. But he can only fill that which is empty. He can only fill. We can't be filled with God if we are filled with other things, Ourselves, the cares of this life, our self-sufficiency, our pride. For the Pharisees, it was their self-righteousness. Jesus said to them, he goes, I, didn't come, I came to call sinners, not the righteous. What was he saying? You think you're righteous, so you can't come. Self-righteousness is a big barrier to being empty. Whatever, whatever your credentials are, whatever your history is, how long you've been serving God. I hope the need's increasing, not that you're going, I've got this. It's also a picture, and I want, this is the last thought I want you to get this morning, church. She went out to find empty vessels. She went out to find empty vessels. Where'd she go? She went to her neighbor's. There are people around us whose lives are empty of purpose. They're void of love, of hope, of grace, of mercy. They are living in, in hopelessness and despair. They have a void that only the Holy Spirit can fill. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. A full Christ is for empty sinners. And for empty sinners only. It's not 
It's not our emptiness, but our fullness which can hinder the outgoing of free grace. Are you filled? Then go grab some empty vessels. Go grab some empty vessels. This is what the Holy Spirit impressed upon me. He says, God will, I will keep pouring out on a church that is reaching out. I will keep pouring out on a church that is reaching out. You got quiet in here. But if we get past, go back earlier in the message, because you think you have nothing in the house, but God wants to fill you, if you'll just realize he gave you something in the Holy Spirit working inside of you, you have what it takes. And, and when he adds his super to your natural, then you can be that vessel that goes and finds other empty vessels and brings them so they can be filled. And as they're coming in, God's going to fill them and the outpouring will continue because there's not a lack of empty vessels. And lastly, in conclusion, then, I've said that four times. <laughs> I'm not a liar, I promise, I meant it. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go tell, sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So what God wants to do is a lasting work. Is a lasting work. Right? What I noticed about the Jesus Revolution movie is those, some of those people that were transformed, Greg Laurie, wow. Millions of people literally touched by that man's life. What he does in a generation. What if you go and reach out to an empty vessel in your neighborhood and that ends up being the next Greg Laurie or Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke or somebody that God uses Come on, as a voice in a generation. It's a lasting work. There's going to be enough for our sons and daughters. And from one generation, the blessing of the Lord will increase to the other. Can I have the worship team come as we close? So here's my prayer, church, this morning, that the Holy Spirit would begin to stir in each and every one of us. Would you stand to your feet? And begin to stir in each and every one of us a sense of need. One jar of oil is all it took. And some obedience. A word from the Lord, a jar and some obedience. God can work with that. And do incredible things. But I pray Holy Spirit would awaken our hearts this morning to a sense of need. That we would keep coming and bringing empty vessels before him. He would awaken our hearts to see. He says, what do you have, Lord? Help us to see what we have this morning, we pray, by your Spirit. Open the eyes of our heart to see it. Lord, it's not your will that any of us should operate in spiritual deficiency, God, but that we should be filled with the fullness. Filled with the fullness of your Spirit. Overflowing, Father, we thank you so much. Just thank him this morning for the outpouring of his spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work in this hour that, we, that 
Scoffers would not even believe, Lord. But that you're turning the hearts of men, you're awakening your church, Lord, that your spirit is being poured out. And Father, help us to operate in a working faith, I pray. Come on, church. Lord, when we cry out to you, you come and you hear our cry and you attend to our prayer. But Lord, you speak to us, Lord, and I pray as we hear your voice, God, you're giving us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning to your church, to the churches, Lord, plural. I thank you, Lord, for your Spirit speaking to our hearts this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are giving us instruction individually. And for the confirmation of your word in our hearts, Lord God.